Welcome to the Urban Remedy Podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. I am your host today, Nika Pasquale, founder of Urban Remedy, and I am so excited for this podcast today. Um, As most of you know, Urban Remedy is certified organic and certified non-GMO, and our, you know, one of our goals is creating the cleanest foods available so that people can easily pick up food and feel confident that when they're eating at Urban Remedy, that they don't have to worry that there's GMOs hidden in their food and um, that everything is organic. So with that in mind, today we have um, an amazing guest. We have Jeffrey Smith who has been on Dr. Oz, The Daily Show, The Doctors. He's the world's best-selling author on GMOs. He has done a wonderful documentary that I saw last night called Genetic Roulette. And if you haven't seen that, you really need to. I mean, there were so many things uh, in the documentary last night that I learned that were so eye-opening, and I feel like it's it's a film that everybody should see. So welcome, and thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you. Yeah. So we are going to be, there's so much out there right now about GMOs and there's so much information coming from both sides. It's very difficult for people to really understand really what a GMO is and if they want to feed it to themselves or their family and kind of what the consequences are on the environment. So today we just wanted to answer some simple questions about GMOs and really help people make a choice on where they're at with GMOs. So I just want to start by reading the definition of a GMO. So it's an organism with the exception of humans in which the genetic material has been altered in a way that does not occur naturally by mating and or natural recombination. So can you put that into more simple terms for people so they kind of understand? Um, Our DNA is made up of genes and those genes come from mommy and daddy. And for genetically engineered crops, uh, you can take genes from one species and force it into the DNA of other species to mix and match traits, or you can edit and rearrange genes within the species artificially. So it's not the natural process of how genes are created and laid out in the DNA. It becomes a manipulation. Now, the process of genetic engineering, irrespective of what you do, the process to create a genetically engineered crop causes massive collateral damage in the DNA. And you can end up with higher levels of existing allergens, like in Monsanto's Roundup Ready soybeans, or introduce new allergens like they have in their corn, or toxins, or carcinogens, or anti-nutrients. And these products were put onto the market long before the science was ready. And uh, in fact, I was inspired 20 years ago to get involved by a genetic engineer who was basically blowing the whistle on Monsanto saying, this technology is very dangerous and should never be applied to food and never be applied to organisms released outdoors. There's no scientific justification. There was economic justification because they had patents that were going to expire and return on investment that needed to happen soon, but they basically have put us all at risk. And now we're seeing the results of that that uh, dangerous folly. Yeah, I mean, I was amazed. Um, One of the things in the film, uh, you know, that caught my eye was just that all of these scientists at the FDA were raising red flags and saying, do not, you know, release this to the American public. And the head of the FDA who worked for Monsanto before just ignored those scientists. And that's something I never knew. And that is... I mean, criminal. I can't even believe that. Right. The, the the director of policy at the FDA, he was actually deputy commissioner of policy, Michael Taylor, had been Monsanto's outside attorney. He was placed in his position specifically because the White House had told the FDA to promote GMOs. So it was a perfect person to put into the helm at the time that the FDA was creating the policy on GMOs. And the policy that he oversaw said that no testing was necessary, no labeling was necessary. Companies like Monsanto that told us Agent Orange and PCBs and DDT were safe can go ahead and put GMOs in the market without even telling the FDA or the public. Then Michael Taylor became Monsanto's vice president, and now he's back at the FDA as the U.S. food czar. Now, the justification as part of this policy, the justification for this abdication, for this hands-off situation was a sentence that claimed that the agency wasn't aware of any information showing that GMOs were significantly different. So they, so there is a sentence in there that yeah. abdicate that yes. shows that. Yes. That is yes. amazing. Yeah. And the sentence was a lie. 
And we didn't know it was a lie at the time. And, and what I, was the sentence? Um, the agency is not aware of any information showing that the foods created from these new methods are different in any meaningful or, or um, significant way. And that sentence was an entire fabrication because seven years after that um, policy was put into play, and it still is the official policy, a lawsuit forced the FDA to reveal its internal files, 44,000 secret documents, and it turns out the overwhelming consensus among the scientists working at the FDA was exactly the opposite, that they believed GMOs were different and dangerous and could lead to allergens, toxins, new diseases and nutritional problems and new types of diseases and said it should be carefully tested, human testing, long-term toxicological testing, and they were ignored. God, I mean, that just blow. I mean, that just really is very upsetting and should be upsetting to every, you know, citizen of the United States. But I want to go back for a second to just to really understand in a really simple way, because some of the things I've read say, oh, well, you know, um, GMOs, you know, genetic alteration is very similar to what happens in nature. So can you just give us a very simple example of, you know, one that you used in the film was like a spider gene used in a plant or, you know, because obviously there has been, you know, um, there is a natural system that happens with gene alteration. Can you just very simply explain sure. how it's different and give some examples? Well, Right now, if you want to kill insects on a farm or garden, you can go to a garden store and buy something called BT or BT toxin. It's a combination of bacteria from the soil, and it breaks open little holes in the walls of the stomach of insects to kill them. And then it biodegrades in the sunlight, washes off in the rain, and we don't end up eating it. However, the genetic engineers at Monsanto and other places took the DNA of that bacteria and took out the gene that produced the Bt toxin and made millions of copies, put it into a gun, a gene gun, shot that gun of millions of genes into a plate of millions of corn cells, then cloned those cells into plants and then selected one that worked for them. And they find now that every single cell of those plants have a little gene-sized spray bottle that produces Bt toxin. And it turns out that the, the toxin itself kills insects that bite the corn. And so they say it's pest resistant. What it is is it's pest deadly. Now, they did this on the assumption that the toxin would be completely benign in human beings and in mammals. And so that's just an assumption. There was no scientific it testing on that? They did not need to scientifically test because they said, oh, we've seen BT toxin function uh, on, on its own as a spray, and it seems benign, and so we'll just put it into the crop. Now, it turns out that the spray itself was not benign. It was found to create an allergic reaction or, or immune system reaction in mice and in humans and farm workers. Um, it was found when it was sprayed uh, over the Pacific Northwest for gypsy moths, it caused um, 500 people or so to feel sick and some had to go to the hospital. And there was warnings on the BT cotton, on the BT spray, you know, be careful, et cetera, et cetera. So they ignored those. And now inside the crop itself is BT toxin produced at thousands of times the concentration of the spray form. Furthermore, it's designed to be more toxic than the spray form. It has properties of a known allergen, and it doesn't wash off, and it doesn't biodegrade. So just to recap, just so I totally understand this, I want everybody to really understand this. They're inserting a gene from a bacteria, is it a bacteria, into corn that when the bug or the pest eats that kernel of corn, it makes the bug die. Right. It makes their stomach explode. It makes their stomach, po pokes holes in the stomach walls, and a 2012 study in the Journal of Applied Toxicology showed that it pokes similar holes in human cells. And that was my next point. It's like just, you know, any person would kind of deduce that if you are creating something like that, that's a food source. If a bug eats it and it kills a bug, what's it going to do when a human eats it? And shouldn't there be testing on that? Like would if you asked pretty much any mother in this country and simply said, would you like to feed your child something that kills bugs and makes their, their stomach explode or creates these holes in their stomach, would you want to risk giving that to your child? Or to a pregnant woman. When they tested the pregnant women's blood in Canada, they found that 93% of the pregnant women tested had BT toxin in their blood, 
which can be toxic to blood cells, according to my studies, and 80% of their unborn fetuses had Bt toxin in their blood. Now, you have a whole poking toxin in the blood of the unborn fetuses. There's no blood-brain barrier developed at that time, so they may end up with a whole poking toxin in the brains of the of the offspring of this generation. Which, you know, as we all well know, you know, nobody knows what causes autism, really. I mean, everybody has their own ideas. Um, but how could this not be something that we should test, you know, oh, in yeah, terms totally. of autism or any kind of inflammatory disorder? The other, you know, thing related to this in your film is that, um, you know, all of the allergens and the leaky gut that this generation or these past generations of children have now, we never saw this 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, it is so incredibly disturbing. When you feed BT toxin to a mouse... It not only can react to the toxin, but it becomes reactive to formerly harmless foods. So if we're eating BT toxin, we may all of a sudden become reactive to many other potential allergens. Um, in addition, you mentioned leaky gut. Leaky gut is correlated with allergens and autoimmune disease and inflammation and cancer and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and heart disease. Now, what is leaky gut? It's holes in the walls of the intestines which is how BT toxin kills insects. It kills them through their stomach. But if it pokes holes in the walls of the intestines, it may create leaky gut. Now, here's how leaky gut, for example, relates to autoimmune disease. Normally, food gets broken down into teensy-beensy pieces. That's a technical term. <laughs> and only the tiny remnants get into the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. But if there are holes in the intestinal walls and they're only one cell thick, then undigested food proteins can enter the bloodstream. When they do... They're seen as monsters to the immune system, and the immune system attacks. Now, these are modern immune system cells. They take out their iPhones. They take a picture of the protein. They post it on their Facebook and say, attack anything that looks like this. But not entirely modern. They use an old iPhone that's pixelated and fuzzy. So they attack anything that looks like that, which could be the thyroid or the microvilli or the pancreas. And that's what autoimmune disease is about. It's the, it's the immune system attacking the body because of leaky gut and old iPhones. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we know, I mean, if you look at functional medicine right now, I mean, it's it's common knowledge that a huge portion of the immune system is in the gut and having a healthy gut is equivalent to having a healthy immune system. So, um, you know, I mean, if you just look at the numbers um, of inflammatory disorders in the United States, it's, it's outstanding. And it's just getting worse and worse. I mean, kids now are, you know, little children are getting type 2 diabetes, little children are having leaky gut, little children are having autoimmune cancer, you know, all of these inflammatory disorders, and nobody knows why. And to not even look into GMOs, I mean, as a mother, it's extremely disturbing. And it's extremely disturbing that, you know, with the information that had come out that we didn't follow up on that. And that there wasn't, you know, a, a, obviously you don't want the person who's making these toxins or these pesticides to be the people that are testing it. It should be an independent, you know, a, a independent board who has no, you know, Good luck who's not making it. No, I know. Hey, yes. no, I know. I'm right there with you. Um, so I also wanted to talk about just really briefly, you know, I think it was a week or two ago, there was a big article and information on the Nobel laureates that came out um, blasting Greenpeace saying that they need to, you know, stop promoting GMOs and that it's, you know, they were actually the arguing they're arguing for a golden yeah. rice. Okay. So there this is the the poster child of the biotech industry and there's been a lot of disinformation put out about golden rice. So let me explain. There has been a very serious problem in vitamin A deficiency. Mm -hmm. In part, it's because of monoculture, agriculture. And, and where, I'm sorry, where, because was this vitamin, is this rice meant to go to like third world countries or yeah. are we talking about the United States? Okay, third we're talking countries. about third world countries. Yeah, the vitamin A deficiency can lead to blindness mm -hmm. and, and death and it, it's very serious. Um, and it comes from a malnutrition piece where the the families don't have access to a variety of food and to those foods that contain vitamin A. Now, there's been a very successful campaign to eradicate that. Um, they can give two supplements a year, the cost of 25 cents, six months apart, and prevent blindness. Um, other groups have brought in seeds and the know-how to create gardens for increasing the entire um, biodiversity of the food supply, again, eliminating not only vitamin A deficiency, but many others. 
But the biotech industry decided to create rice, which is eaten as a staple by many countries, um, and infuse the rice with a gene that produces beta-carotene. And beta-carotene is a precursor to vitamin A. Now, originally, they pumped it up saying, this is really important, and we should be promoting this, and no one should be against any GMOs whatsoever because we can solve, we can prevent blindness. Well, at the time, the amount of vitamin A that was produced in the rice required a three-year-old to basically eat three, you know, 20 bowls uh -huh. per day. It was impossible. It was a tiny amount. Oh, so they, they did up it eventually, but it turns out it still failed in the field. It has, it, after... $100 million estimate of spent. It's still completely unviable. And there's no guarantee that the beta-carotene will convert to vitamin A because it usually requires fat in the diet. And these are the same people that don't have fat right, in the diet. Yeah. Furthermore, according to um, David Schubert of the Salk Institute, um, then when you change the pathway that produces beta-carotene, you're changing the same pathway that produces retinoic acid, which can lead to birth defects. Mm -hmm. So he thinks he thinks that this is far worse than any of the GMOs on the market because wow. it's altering a bioactive um, aspect of the <coughs> physiology of the plant, which could have a dramatic uh, negative effect on humans that eat it. So that, I mean, that piece of information right there is so important, but how, so do you feel like these laureates just didn't they have the no correct idea. information? No, no, you see, the thing is the biotech industry is very great at villainizing those of us who are calling for more science. They yeah. call us anti-science, yeah. right? So they will, they'll, they'll go to economic Nobel laureates, go to math Nobel laureates, mm -hmm. people who have no idea what's going on and says, we need to promote science, don't we? All these other Nobel laureates are signing on. Right. Won't you sign on so we can get these anti-science zealots to, you know, because that's what's causing millions of people to go blind each year. Well, it's entirely false. And that they're successful in giving that. They get they have a lot of their spokespeople out there with PhDs, etc., who have no worries about lying or they believe it because they've been lied to. And we've caught them red-handed, lying about their research, rigging their research to avoid finding problems, attacking scientists who discover problems, and using entirely unscientific excuses to try and explain away the serious effects that occur in their own studies, even if, even if they rig to avoid finding problems, there's still inflammation, high death rate, immune system reactions, etc. So, um, I, we've seen this over and over again. They they infiltrate regulatory agencies, just like it happened in the FDA. They've done it all over the world. I've traveled to more than 40 countries speaking about GMOs, and I've seen where they have infiltrated and Well, like, for example, like, just for what you're saying, like, all of the scientists in the FDA that raised a red flag to the FDA commissioner that is, that's in your film, what happened with those scientists? What They're happened— ignored. They were ignored. They were ignored. They, so they're still ignored. So like even after this information came out. One, one of them wrote a fiery letter that was eventually quoted in the New York Times, basically saying he predicted, he said, with no requirements for testing, the companies won't even do the normal tests they would do because they're not on the FDA list. And that over a period of time, people will have a false sense that these are safe because it's been done a thousand times before. Both of those predictions turned out to be true. Now, the concerns by the FDA also turned out to be validated. The American Academy of Environmental Medicine reviewed the animal feeding studies in 2009. And back then, there were enough for them to say no doctor should allow their patients to e be eating GMOs. They should be telling their patients to stop eating it because it's linked to, in the animal feeding studies, reproductive disorders, uh, accelerated aging, um, dysfunctional regulation of cholesterol and insulin, organ damage, uh, all sorts of issues. And that list has only grown over time since more research has been done. Now, what's interesting, um, I started speaking to medical conferences in 2006, and this American Academy was one of them at that time. And since then, thousands of doctors started prescribing non-GMO diets to patients. Now, up until this point, I was representing scientists who speak very cautiously. You know, they're very timid about yeah. making conclusions. And when I started interviewing the doctors who were prescribing non-GMO diets for a number of years, they spoke completely differently about their their conclusions. They said GMOs cause inflammation, GMOs cause allergic reactions, GMOs cause mental conditions. And when I put my patients on non-GMO diets, they get better. So you I, know what? That is so interesting. I mean, it's interesting. And I saw that, but 
part of my personal story is, you know, I had to practice for 10 years and um, the first retreat I ever did where I took people away for three to five days, I think it was like a four day retreat, four and a half days. Um, I just took my patients and I had two people that had a very serious chronic inflammatory disorders. One was rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, she hadn't worked for 10 years. Um, she was in so much pain. She couldn't think right. She was fatigued. Um, and somebody else that had lupus, you know, very serious symptoms. I took, they were part of a group of 10. I took them away. The whole time it was all organic, live raw food juices and lifestyle modific- you know, modification like massage and relaxation and whatnot. And I, it blew my mind that 80% of their symptoms were gone after that many days of just eating that kind of food. And, and actually, I never thought about the GMOs. I just thought it was clean food and all of the flu- food is plant-based, so it's naturally anti-inflammatory. But I never thought of the yeah. GMO aspect of that, which is so interesting to me. And, and, you know, when I was first told by the doctors, I was also skeptical. when they, Because people would come up to me for years and say, I notice the changes. I can tell when I'm eating a GMO. And I'm like, really? And I was very polite, but yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't really a believer. Yeah. But when the, science, when the doctor started telling me the experience, like one doctor said, everyone gets better when they switch to non-GMO. I said, what percentage? She says, I said everyone, 100%. Okay, 98%. I said, how many people have you told to be on a non-GMO diet? And then she took a while to figure it out, and she said, about 5,000. And then I realized they have had more experience than any of the doctors dealing with a handful of rats or mice. They've been dealing with thousands and thousands of patients. So I said, can I go to your clinic and interview your patients. I talked to someone who was 28 days into a non-GMO diet, three days into it, her Crohn's disease symptoms went away. She she had lost 10 pounds. Her skin condition was clearing up. Her hair was stopped falling out. Someone six weeks into the non-GMO diet no longer needed six pills for irritable bowel. Another person three weeks into it, a nine-year-old didn't have the pain in his stomach. A 12-year-old didn't need his asthma inhaler, didn't get migraines at all. And then I realized that I, how impactful it was to at least a percentage of people who are sensitive. So in 2012, when I released the film Genetic Roulette, I started asking audiences for the first time, what disorders or diseases did you notice improved when you switched to a non-GMO slash organic diet? And I was blown away, just like you were. I was amazed, and I started asking over and over and over again, in over 125 lectures, and the consistency of the report made it absolutely clear. So we actually did a survey of 3,600 people, and it was the same results and the same percentages that I was seeing live in these audiences. The number one improvement is always gastrointestinal. Over 80% of the people that showed improvement in anything was gastrointestinal digestive. Then there was weight problems and energy, fatigue as well as brain fog, allergies, asthma, joint pain, headaches, anxiety, depression, um, a whole host of very, very common ailments. And it went down to things like autism and cancer and, and kidney problems, restless leg syndrome. Well, And, the, and then talk a little bit about um, children, because I mean, obviously it's different. Like when, when I grew up, I mean, I probably didn't really eat GMOs, right? No, I mean, didn't. my parents were very conscious and, the, and no, they, they weren't around happen. until 19. So you know, so I'm lucky because, you know, I wasn't exposed to that. But like my son is five years old. Um, you know, he eats all organic because that's how we eat in our home. But I look at, you know, children that are raised in the Midwest and these parents that really don't have the information and they're going to the grocery store and they're looking at a cereal box that says all natural. You know, oh, yeah. healthy. all natural means nothing. Totally, natural, but they don't yeah, know, that. know that, and that's what—that's where—that's where you know I get very passionate, and that's why I want to get this information out there because these moms need to know this. They need to know. They don't know that they're feeding these kids. You know, a lot of it is sugar, but most of those products that have the high sugar content and the low fat that say healthy are made with GMOs. Right. Let me let me give you some stories that are quite compelling. I was giving a lecture with an MIT scientist at MIT on GMOs and Roundup herbicide, which is sprayed on most GMOs. We'll talk about that in a moment. And I asked the audience, as I typically do, were there any stories? A woman stood up and said, my six-and-a-half-year-old son was violent and out of control, and they wanted to kick him out of school. I saw your film, Genetic Roulette, and I changed his diet, and all the problems went away. I said, how long did it take? She said, one week. And then I that gives then, me the goosebumps. Yeah, and then she said after she paused and said, within a month I had a new son. I was at another conference uh, after that, and a woman was working at the as a volunteer at our booth, and she said she was a grandmother, and she saw the film Genetic Roulette and was concerned about her grandson. 
So she told her son, if there's anything you do in this life because I ask you to do it, please see this film. I mean, talk about putting on some yeah. pressure. The son saw the film and said, okay, we're going to change his diet. Prior to that, he was constantly having trouble breathing and also they were constantly calling home from school because he was acting out in, in serious ways. All of that went away, didn't get the calls from school except the day after he ate at the other grandparents' house where they didn't pay attention. Now, we had so many testimonials about children getting better from emotional issues, behavioral issues, and serious health issues. We started interviewing people um, for testimonials on camera, and we found someone whose story was ideal. So we built, started to build a film around her. Her name is Kathleen. And she had three sons, has three sons, and they had 21 chronic conditions between the three of them. Oh, my God. And including her oldest son, who had autism. She switched to uh, gluten-free. She took out commercial dairy. She even took out soy. A lot of the problems got better, but they were still being managed. In other words, the severity of the symptoms were better. was better, but she was still managing all of these different chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. Then she learned about GMOs and about the Roundup that they spray on them. Switched to all organic, and all of the problems disappeared. Her son is no longer on the autistic spectrum. That's amazing. I mean, that is amazing. And now that they say one in 43 or 48. Yeah, and, and, and in 18 years or so, it's going to go up to one in two if we go at the same oh, rate. Oh, yeah. No, I just, there was a scientist from MIT who just spoke out, and you've probably um, know her, and now I can't she remember She was the her one name. I spoke with. Oh, yeah. She was the one I was presenting she, with at MIT. Yeah, I just saw her. She said, if things keep going this way, it's going to be one in two children. Right. Now, her name is Stephanie Seneff. I interview her. You could find a, a, an interview on YouTube with about 170,000 views. Um she, by the way, before I talk about her, I just say in the film, which the new film which we're creating is called Secret Ingredients. Mm -hmm. You can see the trailer at secretingredientsmovie.com. We're still finishing it up. In fact, we're raising money to finish it up. We have some expensive animation we want to do before it gets released, and we're raising money for that. Um, and in the film, there's three autistic boys, and two of them are no longer on the spectrum, and one has been, the other one has been switched to a mainstream school because he's so much better. There are people who recovered from cancer, infertility. I'm talking about dozens and dozens of people that were no longer infertile. Um, all these things based on non-GMO and organic diets because the organic also eliminates Roundup, which I'll talk about, as I say, in a minute. Now, this woman, Stephanie Seneff, she's got a degree from MIT, both in biology and also in computer science. And she was trying to figure out what it was that caused the increase in autism. And she studied all of the physiological changes that occur in the body of an autistic kid and could understand why that child would have the cognitive impairments and the repeated patterns, etc. But she couldn't figure out what the environmental toxin would be that, that spurred these things. Mm -hmm. And so she was studying all these different toxins, and then she went to a lecture by Dr. Don Huber, a professor emeritus from Purdue University, who was an expert at Roundup and its active ingredient, glyphosate. And when she heard him, she told me she sat on the edge of her chair for two hours because she found the culprit. It fit hand in glove with everything she was looking for, every single physiological change that she couldn't explain with other toxins, environmental toxins, could be easily explained with glyphosate and Roundup. And so she actually, you can find her speaking about this all over. And right now, if you track the increase of autism uh, since, since 1990, for example, and you track the use of Roundup herbicide on genetically modified Roundup-ready crops, it tracks almost perfectly. If it were absolutely perfectly, it would be a one. This is 0.995 wow. or something. It's ridiculous. Now, what's interesting is it's not just autism. There's 30 conditions that track closely, including diabetes, several types of cancer, inflammatory bowel, um, suicides, anxiety, anemia, uh, leukemia, um, vitamin D deficiency, insomnia. Regarding that. Is how much do you feel that people are eating that really affects them? Like, is it people that are eating all GMO foods? Is it people that are eating a quarter of their diet that is GMO? Could it be a s snack a day? Does, do we have any oh, idea? It, it, to me, it is very clear that there is a range of sensitivities um, because I've talked to people who, you know, one meal and old symptoms come back and hit them hard and other people that don't notice it at all. Um, now, that's... Typical for the reaction to to environmental toxins. But now would be a good time to introduce 
the story about Roundup, mm-hmm. because that'll give you an idea of the range and why so many diseases may be related to not only GMOs, but also Roundup. Um, Roundup, it's active ingredient. It's an herbicide. It's the world's best-selling herbicide. It's marketed by Monsanto. You can find it in, you know, garden stores, etc. And its active ingredient, so-called active ingredient, because there's a lot of other nasty stuff in there that's even more toxic than its active ingredient, but its so-called active ingredient is called glyphosate. And glyphosate was originally patented to clean boilers and pipes in industrial factories because it's a descaler. It it pulls the minerals. It binds with minerals, making them inactive, and that's called chelation. It was also patented as an antibiotic. Oh, interesting. So when you consume Roundup, which is in high quantities in our food supply because it's sprayed on GMOs, and we'll learn in just a minute, that's also sprayed on many other non-GMO crops that are not organic. First of all, it'll deprive us of important trace minerals. Trace minerals are the keys to certain metabolic pathways to function. To most. I mean, I because I actually just wrote a thing about that. I mean, mineral, your mineral balance is so important to most all metabolic functions in your body. For example, Monsanto claims that we're immune to the effects of glyphosate because the pathway that it destroys in crops is called the shikimate pathway, and we don't have the shikimate pathway in humans, but our gut bacteria do. The gut bacteria use the shikimate pathway to produce the building blocks, the aromatic amino acids, that create serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine. If we are deficient in these incredibly important neurotransmitters, that could explain the behavioral disorders, the anxiety, mm-hmm. the depression, the, dis- the misregulation of blood sugar, the inability to know that, that, you've, that, you're, hung- that you're full and you could stop eating, uh, Parkinson's, uh, insomnia, uh, pain regulation, all can be linked to the neurotransmitters. It also blocks another pathway, the P450 cytochrome pathway, which can detox the liver. So all the other toxins in the environment that are normally detoxed through that pathway can be amplified. So people who are probably poor detoxifiers, people with like the MTHFR gene, are probably much more sensitive to this. And one, it's interesting that you're talking about this right now because one of the pro-GMO claims is that GMOs cut the use of pesticides by 50% so that they don't need to spray as much pesticides on the food system. But it's because the pesticide is inside the gene and they're spraying this toxic. Well, so here's the thing. The, the word pesticide can refer generically to both herbicides and insecticides. From herbicides, it actually increases the use of herbicides by over half a billion pounds over the first 16 years. The, the weeds outsmart Monsanto. They become resistant. Farmers use more and more of the toxic Roundup. And so that is a false notion. It's, it's dramatically increased. For the toxin-producing, the insecticide-producing crops, and there's only two of them right now, one is corn, one is cotton, the overall footprint of the amount of insecticide on the acreage is greater with the GMOs. Mm -hmm. If you count the insecticide produced in the plant, the insecticide that they soak the seeds in, plus the insecticide that's sprayed on it. But they ignore all that and just say, oh, the amount that's sprayed on is less, which in many cases is true, but they're just they're, they're putting blinders on in order to prove the point. Now, with that cotton that it's sprayed on, um, does if you're wearing cotton that's not organic, could that actually get into your skin? The glyphosate, the Roundup, which is sprayed on the cotton, can be is show, has been found in tampons, in bandages, and diapers, and things like that. And so, let's take a moment to just fill out the rest of the, yeah. the dangers of glyphosate and Roundup, so we know why it's important yeah. to avoid. So we already mentioned that it blocks these two pathways. We mentioned that it's an antibiotic. Now, as an antibiotic, it's selective. It kills a lot of bacteria, but not all of it. It kills the beneficial stuff. Are people still taking this as an antibiotic right now? Or they don't take this- it as an antibiotic, okay. but it has antibiotic properties. Okay. And so they eat GMOs or they eat wheat, which is sprayed with Roundup before harvest as a ripening agent, or barley or rye or, or sweet potatoes or potatoes or, su- or, or um, sugar cane. All these things are non-GMO and sprayed with Roundup, but primarily the biggest dose is Roundup-ready soy, Roundup-ready corn, uh, and, and then Roundup-ready canola and cottonseed oil. By, by taking this Roundup into the body, it can kill the beneficial gut bacteria causing a dysbiosis or an imbalance. Now that can relate, that can create leaky gut. We already talked about that danger. And improper balance of gut bacteria is linked to a long list of diseases because gut bacteria is essential in digestion, detoxification, and the immune system. 
So many, many problems have their basis in that. And I wonder if that has any, a little bit to do with the superbugs that are coming out right now. If you're take, if you're eating something frequently that has antibacterial properties, you know, on top of your, you know, it seems like there could be some sort of There's no question that the overuse of antibiotics is promoting the antibiotic resistant um, diseases. And Roundup is one of the most used antibiotics, but it's not called an antibiotic. And over 300 million pounds were sprayed around the world in the last year. So it's actually in the United States. So it's an enormous, enormous impact on antibiotic resistant bugs. And can you, when you are buying a uh, GMO product, like let's say you buy some GMO corn that's been sprayed, um, can you, does it wash off easily or? Not at all. It gets, you see, it's, it's one of the other ingredients in Roundup um, causes it to penetrate into the crop itself. And so it gets distributed in the crop and especially the fast growing portions, which is the food. And it's unwashable. It's inside the crop. That is so so important, you know, for people to understand because people might think, oh, well, I'm buying this, you know, that's non-organic, but I'm just washing it off. No, it has nothing. you'll, you'll, You'll get very little of it off through washing. Now, in addition to those properties, which we mentioned, the World Health Organization described glyphosate and glyphosate based herbicides as a class 2A carcinogen meaning it probably causes human cancer. It also damages the mitochondria, which can explain the fatigue and the brain fog because the mitochondria are the energy centers. It's also linked to birth defects. It's also an endocrine disruptor to human cells. And so it can affect the balance of the male and female hormones and all the other hormones in the body. And it can act at tiny levels at parts per trillion, and it's linked to organ damage. And I mean, I can't tell you in my own practice how many women that I saw, healthy young women, women that were in their 20s, that could not get pregnant. Oh, yeah. And there was, in our film, we have a clinic where everyone, it's a chiropractic clinic. In addition to giving chiropractic, everyone goes on an organic diet. They had 77 infertile couples, all of whom got pregnant and are having babies. And they all switched to organic. The only five that it didn't work for were the ones that didn't take the protocol. Interesting. I mean, I that is... And very, very interesting. Now, what about um, there? One of the other things that I've read about, and I told you earlier when we were having lunch, when I was sitting with a scientist from Monsanto, and I brought up the fact about the seeds and suing farmers and organic farmers, and just you know what's gone on with the cotton farmers in India. And he said most of that wasn't true; that it was just kind of like a you know, a a rumor going around. Do you know about that? I know a lot about it, in fact. Yes, there was a research study done by the Center for Food Safety showing that Monsanto has sued at least, this was like 10 years ago, 160 farmers and farm organizations and settled for over $300 million. What happens is when they sell the patented genetically modified seed, there's a, a long contract written on the bag saying, if you open the bag, you agree to this. And so what it means is you can't save seeds year to year. So if you buy genetically engineered soybeans, you can't use you can't grow soybeans from them and then use those soybeans to grow them again. You've got to go back to Monsanto and buy is your Don't those seeds die after no, they've no? they don't oh, die. Okay. They they want them to die. It's called the Terminator technology. That's not yet introduced. Okay. Um, big international uh, out, outcry has caused it to be not deployed at this time. So instead they rely on the courts. And they end up suing farmers and threatening farmers that theoretically saved seeds, but many of them didn't save seeds. Many of them just got contaminated by nearby mm-hmm. farms that for the, from the pollen or the f- seeds blowing in the air or passing trucks. And I've sp- spoken to some of these farmers that got uh, sued by Monsanto that turned out it had nothing to do with them. And uh, it's really been a, a disaster for them in their lives. So there's also, in India, they convinced millions of cotton farmers to go for the genetically modified cotton seeds, lying basically, saying, oh, these are going to cause you to be so rich and we've, we've you know, exposed how they used false advertising. But what happens is a lot of times the cotton doesn't perform well. It's very unreliable and it can fail to germinate. It can produce poor quality cotton. It can get re- uh, leaf curl and root, root rot and all these things. And so the farmers often end up unable to pay for these loan shark, these secondary loans that are seven as much as 7% per month in terms of the payback. And so they face the prospect of losing land, the land that's been in their family for generations and the shame of that. And if they commit suicide, then the debt is dispersed. And so over 250,000 farmers 
have committed suicide. I, I in read India. about that. It's crazy. And not just the suicide. They the other thing, if they don't want to kill themselves, is they sell their kidneys. Wow. Have you heard of that? I've heard of that, yeah. but I haven't. I haven't. I haven't been tracking that. I've heard that, but I know that you know the biotech industry will say, "Oh, it's not true. It's not related to BT toxin and BT cotton." But my friend Vandana Shiva, her organization sent around people in the suicide belt and knocked on the doors of a hundred families every year, saying, "What you know they had the suicides? What was the reason for the suicide?" And it was directly related to BT cotton about eighty-five percent of the time. Indirectly, another ten percent. So ninety-five percent of the time, it was the failure of the BT cotton to perform. And this was this was the this by the way is the state of the art of doing a survey. You're going door yeah. to door. Yeah. I mean, it's like Monsanto. You know, I mean, they obviously have a good uh, PR firm because they you know have people out there. But this kind of stuff and treating farmers that way is is not very smart. I now, mean, it's the good news is that so many people are learning about the dangers and are switching to non-GMO that food companies are realizing that they need to get non-GMO in order to save their customer base, and so. We originally created a tipping point in the natural food industry, and that was tipped in 2013. And now we're we're seeing a tipping point underway in the conventional food industry. Nestle's brags that their coffee creamer is non-GMO on television. Similac has introduced an advanced formula that's non-GMO for baby formula. Uh, Campbell's is taking out GMOs on a lot of products. Del Monte's squaring them off. Um, Dannon is going to eliminate the GMO animal feed in their cows over the next three years. Red Gold tomato products are being switched out. I can't believe it's not butter is no longer GMO. Hershey's is no longer GMO. So a lot of main Mainstream companies, Cheerios, Grape Nuts, we're seeing now the impact of healthier food choices on the marketplace. And so the first point is, you know, people. what can people do? By becoming non-GMO, they are not only protecting themselves, but they're protecting society. But because Roundup is sprayed on so many non-GMO plants as a, as a ripening agent— Oh, I didn't know it was a ripening. Yeah, like it kills the plants over a few days, and then it, it forces them to ripen quickly before they die. Um, we say being non-GMO is no longer sufficient. Mm-hmm. Being organic is required, and if you can't buy organic every time, at least be non-GMO. That's such a great point. So, you know, if you're going out there and you're buying a non-GMO cereal, it doesn't mean that it's clean because it could, all of those ingredients could still and most likely are sprayed with Roundup. Yeah, I mean, well, not every ingredient, but like wheat, for example. The the grains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The grains, yeah, the grains. And the the, oil, like canola oil. Canola oil. Well, canola oil would be genetically engineered. Mm -hmm. If it's non-GMO canola oil, it may not have the GMOs, it may not have the Roundup in it, but... Um, you know, canola oil, cottonseed oil, soybean oil, corn oil, these are the corn, these are the oils from GMO plants that they're sprayed. But then you also have the, as I said, the rye, barley, wheat, lentils, etc. Now, in order to avoid GMOs, people don't know necessarily which products are GMOs. There's either nine or 11, and I'll explain. Soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, which is most of the sugar in the United States, not the sugar, not the beets that we eat, mm-hmm. the sugar that we eat, alfalfa, which is animal feed, um, papaya from Hawaii or China, zucchini, and yellow squash. Now, those are nine, but a potato and an apple that don't brown when being sliced were approved last year, and the there's probably going to be 50 bins of, of apples served somewhere in the United States this year, so it's a genetic roulette, and then we don't know when the potato is going to be introduced. On top of that, will those? I'm sorry, will those be labeled? Like when you no. we see the apple, you'll have no idea. Is it no. there a name for that apple? Arctic so we know. Apple. Okay, everybody, if you, whoops, if you uh, are in the grocery store and you see an Arctic apple, and what's the potato called? Innate potato. Innate potato. You know that that's. What you and know. the Arctic apple have... will probably start out as it will be sliced, pre-sliced, because it's okay. designed to be sliced and to fake us all out to think that it's fresh. It'll go 18 days without browning, wow. so it can be devoid of nutrients, and we won't know it. Now, in addition, there's the animal products, milk, meat, and eggs from animals that are fed GMOs. Mm -hmm. And we've heard a lot of stories from people who appear to seriously react to those that are fed GMOs and not react to those that don't. So we strongly recommend buying organic milk, meat, and eggs 
if you if you do eat milk meter eggs. Uh, and wild caught could also be a non-GMO. 100% grass fed is usually non-GMO unless the grass contains GMO alfalfa. So there are ways to avoid it. You can go to non-gmoshoppingguide.com for and there's a list of 35,000 products that have been verified non-GMO by the non-GMO project. Your your products are listed there. And also the list of the of the GMOs and also the hidden ingredients because if you don't see non-GMO on the on the product label and you don't see organic because organic means non-GMO as well. It could still be non-GMO if it doesn't have the at-risk ingredients. Right. But if you're looking just for the word soy or just for the word yeah. corn, you're going to miss the maltodextrin, the soy lecithin, the soy protein isolate, the you know the things that are the derivatives. The yeast extracts. And so all. We, yeah. have, we have those derivatives listed at non-GMOshoppingguide.com. Oh, Everybody should check that out. And I think it's such a – I have one more thing I want to cover with you, but I just you know want to say that – like what you just said, everybody votes with their dollar. So every time that you choose to buy organic milk rather than non-organic milk or you choose to get organic butter, you are changing the system. That is how we all have to to do this. I mean, because if people aren't buying their products because they have GMOs, they are not going to have GMOs in their products. So if you think you can't afford that 25 cents or that 50 cents, think about what you the environment you want for your family and for your children. It's so important and to buy And one, one of the families we introduced we interview for um, the movie Secret Ingredients when they switched to organic and they were they had a, they three kids an autistic son including their medical bill went down from eighteen thousand a year to about nine thousand the second year and three thousand the third year and the amount of money they were spending on organic was far less than the amount of money they saved so um, what is it what's that saying uh, there's a what um, it, it's an ounce of prevention yeah no it's um, you know using food something about using food as medicine uh, oh, you, oh, you yeah. don't have to see your doctor for those, for those that for those that um, uh, who are eating bad food no medicine can help for those eating good food no medicine is needed exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. so it definitely will lower your health care costs so the last thing that I want to cover is because it's something that is going on right now is the dark act so they named HR 1599 deny Americans the right to know act and it's related to um, Vermont requiring GMO labeling. So where are we with that, and how do you feel about this passing? And The biotech industry, combined with the food industry, have been trying to avoid mandatory labeling in this country. It's enjoyed by the citizens of 64 other countries, but not in the U.S. or Canada. And they don't want to admit that they're using GMOs. <clears throat> now, Vermont passed a labeling law, uh, which went into effect on July 1st, 2016, and the uh, lobbyists in Washington were scrambling with their friends in in both parties to try and prevent having to label their products as GMO. And so they were able to get uh, what we call the Dark Act, denying Americans the right to know. Um, and it passed both the House last year and the Senate um, last week. And then it, within a, a new bill version of it was passed in the House this week. And so it's going to go to Obama's desk for signing. And he is PR person said that he's ready to sign it. So by the time this podcast goes, I think it'll probably have been signed. Maybe we'll be able to stop it. People can go to responsibletechnology.org, which is our website, to find out the truth. And I'll, I'm just now writing a statement about it um, uh, in case it is, in fact, signed. So the issue is that <clears throat> it prevents states from requiring mandatory labeling. It gives the USDA two years to come up with some labeling scheme. It um, excludes nearly all GMOs from labeling, the ones that have processed foods, in processed foods, like the ones that you can't find the, the DNA in, like soybean oil and soy lecithin and high fructose corn syrup. And if companies do label, it gives them the out, the out you can, they can say, made with genetic engineering, or they can put an 800 number to find out about the food, call this 800 number, or a QR code, which no one ever scans anymore. They're kind of being phased out. So it's a way of hiding it. So Would that QR, QR code be one that's already on there, or would it be a specific kind of code? No, it would be a QR code that goes to a website, and somewhere you have to navigate around right. the website to find out what the, if the product is GMO. So you have to get out your smartphone, mm -hmm. scan it, open up the thing, and then find it from there. Now, um, and, then, and then other companies can simply ignore the lawyer altogether because there's no penalties, there's no enforcement. You simply get named by the USDA in a report that you're not following the guidelines, and that's it. But can people sue them? 
No. Really? There's absolutely no record. There's no record. There's no recompense. There's no punishment. No, not at all. Nothing whatsoever. So it's basically a fake labeling bill. And they got um, a lot of support saying this is going to create a nationwide labeling bill and will avoid a patchwork of regulations in different states by substituting complete fake labeling bill, which has no teeth and is has all these exemptions and sets the way for making some really bad choices later on. So my point is this. There's a lot of people, including myself, who've been working towards labeling, but some people have been thinking that labeling was the answer. Labeling was never the answer on its own. Once there was labels, we still needed to convince people how to react to those labels, mm -hmm. avoid anything that contains GMOs. So we won't have mandatory labels anytime soon, but we have the voluntary labels, like on your products, non-GMO project verified. And we can create a tipping point and are creating a tipping point even with these. When we kicked out bovine growth hormone, Monsanto's genetically engineered drug introduced years ago, it's kicked out of most American dairies there's no requirements for labeling it. It's a voluntary label that caused it to be kicked out because the voluntarily labeled milk products were so, were so much more popular that it was kicked out of Walmart, Starbucks, Yoplait, Dan and Breyers, most American dairies. So is anybody using that anymore that we know? Anybody? Some. I don't know of anyone because the, the ones that are using it are hiding it in things like cheese or whatever. They're, they're, they're the people that are the, na the main branded milks usually have the no RBGH or the no... You have to look for that. Make sure you still have it. It's, it's a smaller percentage. It's not gone 100%. So as far as the dark act going and the, the manipulations that occurred in Congress and the White House, it's a sad thing, but we're still winning the war. We're still going to win through consumer dollars in the United States. In fact, one of the things that we're raising money for at the Institute, and we're a nonprofit is to export the successful model from the United States to other countries so that they can also enjoy tipping points using the same kind of assets that we have had here, like the movie Genetic Roulette, which you saw last night. Yeah. Can you um, just give people your website again? And, and if people are passionate about this and want to get involved, what can they do? Sure. Um, I'm with, I founded the Institute for Responsible Technology. So we have a Facebook page and we have Twitter and all that. So you can go to our Facebook page. You can go to responsibletechnology.org and sign up for our newsletter. That's that's my number one recommendation so we can stay in touch. Uh, we can go to non-gmoshoppingguide.com to get the list of products and to watch the trailer for the movie we're creating, secretingredientsmovie.com, secretingredientsmovie.com. And then right now, um, if people want to go out and um, see your other film, it's Genetic Roulette. It's so good. Um, your your first book, Seeds of Deception, and then the second book is Genetic Roulette as well. And the film is so good, and it has so much great information. And I love the book because um, so much, all of the information that you have in here is backed by scientific studies. So for people um, who think there are not scientific studies or believe that um, there's no basis against GMOs and that they have been proven safe, you really should get this book. Look at the studies, read the studies for yourself, do your own research. And I mean, just like I always say to people, when you go to the doctor, or you have something really wrong with you or before you take a drug, do the research for yourself. Look at the side effects. You have to be your own health advocate. It's so important to get out there and educate yourself and um, look for the foods that have that are certified non-GMO, certified organic, if you do not want to expose you and yourself, you and your family to GMOs. It's so important. And thank you so much for talking to us. And uh, I definitely want to talk more to, with you. There's so much more information that we haven't covered, but I think this was really good. Thank you for having me and yeah. safe eating. Thank you so much. Thank you.